when I'm coaching people, we do talk about flipping, you know, because some people do want to flip and it's fine and you can make great money doing it, but it, it's a ton of work, you know, and you'll never be completely out of it, I think. You know, you've always got to have your finger on the pulse of what's going on in that business. But I think it's a great place to start in order to generate large amounts of cash. What's going on, guys? This is the Passive Wealth Strategy Show. Thank you for tuning in. Today, our guest is Melissa Johnson. Today, we're talking about flipping and turning flipping into a more passive strategy uh, for passive income, passive wealth generation. We don't talk about flipping a lot on this show. My kind of opinion of it is that it's a very active way to generate income, and that's all well and good. But the problem is it's hard to turn flipping into a passive wealth generation strategy unless you know how to do it. And that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about how Melissa has turned her flipping business into a strategy to generate passive income and passive wealth. And that's what we're all about here, about the passive wealth generation. And this is a strategy that you know might work for you. And if you wanna get into flipping, then you can explore this strategy as a way to generate passive income through flipping. Because I found most flippers out there are doing all the jobs in their business, working many, many hours per week, having to do everything. And that's not passive. It's a good, it's a good way to make money, but it's not passive. And we're all about passive here. And that's what we're talking about today, turning flipping into a passive income, passive wealth generation strategy through a strategy that Melissa is going to teach us about today. For those of you who are new to the show, I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor, real estate syndicator. I buy real estate with passive investors and split the return. Love learning new things. I don't know all that much about flipping, not being a flipper myself. And I love learning new things, new strategies, great ways to expand your mind and learn about what's out there. If you are a flipper looking to generate more passive income and passive wealth, you might want to consider this strategy to turn your flips into a more passive stream. Without any further ado, here we go with Melissa Johnson. Melissa, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. I'm excited to talk with you. you got a pretty cool business. We haven't really talked much about flipping on the show so far and, and ways in which it can be turned uh, passive, which I think is really important. And so we're going to talk about today. Uh, for our listeners out there who don't know about you and don't know what you do, can you tell us a bit about your background, what you've done, and what your business is now, please? Sure. So I've been investing in real estate uh, for 18 years now nice. in San Antonio, Texas. is my market. Uh, started out primarily rehabbing and creating owner finance notes, which was kind of my gateway into passive income. Uh, eventually built up a portfolio of rental properties and have moved more into a wholesaling model uh, with that business right now, just because it's, you know, the market's cyclical and that just is working right now. Eventually, you know, we might go back to doing more rehabbing, but, you know, we can do that if we need to. Uh, and now I'm really focused on working with clients, coaching them, um, doing strategic planning with them, trying to bridge that gap between education and implementation, uh, sorting through shiny objects syndrome, like we just talked about. Yep. And that's really where my passion is right now. It's It's been good. Nice. And that's uh, going from education to action is so important in, in real estate investing, uh, you know, no matter what niche you're in, it, you know, I always say to 
newer investors, if you stick around for a while, you're going to see a lot of people in your, you know, your class who show up the same time you do just kind of fade away and you know, not do anything. And, you know, don't be that guy, you know, do it, make it happen. And, uh, you know, I'd, I'd like to dig into that and how you help people move from education to action and implementation, you know, and your strategies for doing that. Yeah, sure. So I think that's a big missing piece of the puzzle, you know, in all this kind of thing. I think a lot of people spend a lot of time in the education space and which is good, you know, it's good to educate yourself and everything, but there comes that time where you have to flip the switch and actually take some action. And so where I feel like I come in, I really enjoy talking to people first, digging into like why they even want to do this, you know, because obviously we want financial freedom but there's so much more to it. You know, I take a, I like to take a whole life approach to coaching and and stuff like that. And so when I'm talking to people, it's, you know, why do you want to do this? What do you hope to accomplish? You know, bigger picture type things so that we can really plan a strategy that fits in with who they are, how they operate. You know, we're all different. You know, we all have different, we're all on a different path. Maybe we want to go in the same direction, but how we get there is going to look a lot different because you know, I know myself, I work a certain type of way, you know, client A may work a certain type of way, you know, B, C, everybody's different. And so really figuring out what is the best path for them and how do we get there? And a lot of times what I've found is that there's no plan, you know, you're just out there doing stuff. So you've got all this education and, you know, you might do a rehab one day and then you want to dabble in some wholesaling and then maybe you want to buy a couple of doors and, and stuff like that, but there's no real it's not intentional. And so really, I'd like to place the focus on being intentional with what you're doing and being really efficient with how you're doing it. So I guess, you know, we might, uh, I, I feel like, you know, we all kind of go through life thinking, well, I can't speak for everybody, but you know, we go through life thinking I'm doing this thing intentionally, but is it, is that most people don't have that self-awareness that, Hey, this thing you're working on now, uh, isn't headed toward your particular goal or it's not, you know, in the, in the path that you're heading toward, like, how do you, I guess, how does somebody really know if they're not, uh, being intentional? Is that, you know, that's I, tough self-awareness. Yeah. I think it really starts with self-awareness. I'm a huge, like I talk about that a lot because I feel like a lot of what, we do come, you need to be self-aware. You need to be aware of where you're strong, where you're weak, you know, what are your real goals and how are you going to get there? And I think that, you know, people, they just, they, they, there's like a lot of fear, I think, in taking action and like implementing things. And I think that a lot of people end up building themselves into a box. They build themselves a job really. And that's, I feel like that's kind of, you know, a lot of what happens, like you're doing things, you think you're being intentional, but a, a byproduct of that is that you've created a job for yourself where you can't take yourself out of it. And that's the the beauty of the passive income is, you know, that doesn't, you know, that doesn't require so much hands-on and being so involved in your business. It's being smarter about things. And I think, you know, people, they just don't know how to do that. They don't know how to put the right people in the right places with the right systems and processes, how to trust their team, how to delegate all those things that you need to do in order to get that freedom that you want, that we're all seeking. You know, you can't do that without all that good foundation in place first. And so that's, you know, a real big focus for me is, you know, showing people 
you've got to build a solid foundation first before you can even think about taking yourself out of this business. Cause you know, you probably talk to a lot of people too. They wear all the hats in their business, right? You know, it's like one guy that's doing like seven different things and he's doing nothing well, you know? (laughs) And so you've got to know, you've got to be able to be self-aware and know, okay, like I'm good at this. I'm not good at this. I need to hire this out. This is a waste of my time. And so that's, I like to be the guide for that and just kind of shine the light on people just so that they can see where these things are happening and, you know, correct it if they want to. And if not, that's, it's up to them really. Yeah. Nice. I suppose that's one of my, for, for want of a better word, that's one of my gripes with the flipping model. Not that there's anything wrong with flipping per se, but uh, from observing, you know, people who are successful flippers, it's, um, it rarely is a passive income type of model. You know, folks, like you said, are wearing all the hats. They're doing all these, uh, all the jobs in their business or working, you know, a hundred hour weeks when, you know, it's, if you want to work a hundred hour weeks and that's great, but you know, we're here for passive wealth generation, passive income. And, you know, how can people turn the flipping model into, you know, more of a passive income strategy, a passive wealth strategy, if you will. Yeah. One of the things that I like to do is, you know, when I'm coaching people, we do talk about flipping, you know, cause some people do want to flip and it's fine and you can make great money doing it, but it, it's a ton of work, you know, and you'll never be completely out of it. I think, you know, you've always got to have your finger on the pulse of what's going on in that business, but I think it's a great place to start in order to generate large amounts of cash in order to move into a more passive income type of investing. So that's really something that I like to talk about with my clients. Like, okay, well, you know that you want to take yourself out of your job because a lot of them are working full-time and they want to get out of the full-time job. So first you got to figure out, well, how much money do you need to survive? You know, what is it going to take for you to get out of that job? What do you need? And then you've got to reverse engineer that. And so you can, you can see, okay, well, if I flip, I'm going to make you know, this much profit per flip. So I know if I do this many flips, I can take part of that profit and invest that into something that's more passive, like a rental property or creating a note. And that's something that has really helped me being able to flip to generate those big chunks of cash, but then to take some of that cash and invest it into the long-term things. Not all of it, because I really feel like diversification in your portfolio is important. I don't feel like I would never want to just flip houses. You know, I want I want to have multiple exit strategies that are both long-term, long-term and short-term. And so flipping is a good gateway into that, but having a plan to figure out, you know, again, if you're taking yourself out of a job, how much money do you need? So you know you're creating X amount of cash from flipping, but taking that. And now how can I turn this into a passive opportunity where I can create, you know this much money per month, monthly income so that I can get out of that job. And so that's, you know, we spend a lot of time in that too, just reverse engineering the whole process. Now you mentioned one that I'd really like to uh, dial in on. I mean, we've talked about investing in notes in the past, but not to my recollection, not creating them. uh, I think in the way that, that you're describing, can you tell us more about that strategy and, you know, what you help your, your clients do in, creating notes and how that dovetails with uh, flipping and, you know. Mm -hmm. 
I love notes. Notes are my jam. If I could pick between notes and rentals, I would make a note all day, every day over it. (laughs) (laughs) I know rentals are important. They're good to have. They help offset your income and you get deductions and things like that. I'm not a tax person, but I know that that helps offset things. So I know it's good to have them. So I do, but I hate them. And I don't like being a landlord and I have somebody manage all that stuff for me. But you know, with the note creation, the beauty of a note is that you've got this opportunity to one is like you can help somebody else, which I think is important. A lot of people that I create notes for, they wouldn't otherwise be able to own a home. You know, they've got less than, you know, perfect credit. So they can't qualify for traditional bank financing. So it's a really good feeling to be able to create an opportunity for a family to be able to own a home, you know, who otherwise might not be able to, you know, and then we, we can get, it helps us because we get down payment, you know, we vet everybody and we charge interest. So you're making money on the interest. So what I, what I'm doing, my model is to create wraps. So what I do is I'll buy a property at a low price. I'll fix it up. I'll turn around and sell it, obviously, at a higher price because it's fixed up at that point, and then charge a higher interest rate than what I'm paying. So if I'm not invest, I don't, I try not to invest all my own money. I think it's smarter to use other people's money always. So I exclusively use private money. Mm-hmm. So I charge more, obviously, for interest than I'm paying. So I'm not only making money off of the mortgage principal, but the interest also. And I do a short-term loan. So I might buy a property and finance it for like five or six years, but I'm selling it on a 30-year loan. So once that five or six years is paid off, I'm just coasting with payments every month. And I'm escrowing for taxes and insurance. I'm not on the hook for either one of those. I'm not on the hook for repairs. And then if for any reason they default, I take the house back, fix it up, sell it again. You know, I had a couple at one point, I swear I had this one house, I think I sold like five times. Wow. And obviously that's not the ideal situation. I don't want to take the house back. I really don't. That's why I spend a lot of time qualifying people up front. But if I do have to take it back, I do have that asset back that I can take and I can turn around and, and sell it again. And so I really love that strategy just because it's so hands off for me you know, and it's a win-win, you know, I'm winning because I'm generating all this passive income, like years and years of payments, you know, and then they also have the option to cash out at any time. So I don't do balloons. I actually finance the entire 30 years. Wow. And I've had it play out a lot of different ways. So I've had a couple play out where I don't know if it's just the property, you know, I've had to take it back several times and I've resold it, resold it, resold it. And usually when I come to that situation, I don't, I feel like it's a situation with the area maybe or something. And so I might turn that property into a rental if I take it back, you know, several times. Um, Cause that's telling me like, this is more of a rental market in this area. Then I've had other ones that have cashed out after a couple of years, you know, they, their credit improves. And I always encourage them to work on your credit. And if you can get your credit score up and you can refinance, Hey, I'm, that's fine with me. Like cash me out. I'm good. You know? So I've had a couple of those happen and it's always unexpected too. It's like Christmas, you know, whenever <laughs> you get that email and they're like, so we're, we're refinancing the house and we need the payoff. And I'm like, wow. Okay. And I've already paid my loan off. 
you know, so the difference between what I bought it for, what I sold it for, all that's coming back to me. Now, granted, I lose the monthly income from that property, but that's another way to get a big cash influx too. Um, another way that's played out too is we don't, we haven't done this in a long time just because of the market, but we used to create notes and then sell them. And we would get like great money on the notes. You could get like 90%, you know, somewhere in that range. Yeah, it was crazy. Of course, that was like pre-2008. But, you know, it was like a great strategy for a while. And I think it still could be a viable strategy if you have enough to, you could package them together and sell them. You know, there's note buyers out there that'll buy notes and we would sell notes all day long, you know, intentionally, you know, create a note and then season it for 90 days or whatever, and then turn around and sell the note and cash out of it and then keep the ones that we wanted. So it's just a really, there's a lot of options. I feel like with doing that, that really make it easy and create that, that true passive income for you. Nice. I do want to make sure we, we back up and, and make sure we're really, um, given a, as I say, a note creation 101 about this strategy, you know, quick 30 seconds. So you buy the property, fix it up, and then you, and you're buying it with private money and then you sell it to a buyer, but you become the bank, you hold the mortgage, that buyer is going to pay you a down payment, all that great stuff. And then over time, they're going to pay you down, whether they refinance you out or whatever, but you still have the downside protection that you, if they don't pay you, you can foreclose, take the house back and resell it or, or re-rent it basically. Right. Right. Summary. right. And so on those two, just to be clear also, if I buy it using my own cash, then it's just, you know, it's an owner finance transaction. But if I'm using my private money lender, I'm wrapping the note. Okay. So my note is like five or six years to pay off my private money lender. And my note, my note to the end buyer is a 30 year note that they pay to me. Gotcha. Okay. That makes sense. Cool. How have your, how, how has, could say like COVID impacted this and that, you know, the, the federal government can go out and say, you know, Fannie Freddie, you have to give forbearance, all that great stuff. But presumably you're not governed by what the federal government wants to come out and say, you don't again, presumably have to give forbearance or do you, I mean, how has that, this, you know, unprecedented situation impacted, uh, this business model? It's a little tough. It was a little tough, especially, you know, last year, like I would say it started getting a little tough around May, June kind of thing, because everyone, everything just kind of stopped and nobody was really sure what was going to happen. But funny enough, most of the notes that I have, they all continue to pay. Good. It was the tenants that were the problem. Because once they found out they didn't have to pay rent, they didn't pay rent. <laughs> you know, not all of them, but some of them. There was one, literally, she was in my house from April of last year. I just got her out oh, in man. like December, November or December, I think. And I ended up just selling the property because I was done with the whole mess. But um, I mean, that was a difficult situation to navigate. And the only thing I can say that helped get through that, because we couldn't, we couldn't evict anybody. And we couldn't foreclose on anybody. You could file for that, but the court, like nothing was going to happen. Mm. And even now there's still a moratorium on that. So we can't, you know, here in Texas, we, I still can't evict or foreclose on anybody. So I've got all my tenant stuff situated now. 
but I do have one that is in foreclosure for non-payment of taxes. So they were paying their mortgage, but they were behind on their property taxes because they weren't paying all their escrow that they should have. But what really helped and what I've been telling people and what I coach my clients on is if you are going to be in this business of having uh, notes, wrap notes like I do, or rental properties, you've got to have reserves. You have to have reserves because that is literally what carried me through almost the entire last year was just a buildup of reserves so that I could still make all my payments that I needed to make, even though no one, you know, people weren't paying me. And I think that was like the saving grace of just knowing something's coming, have reserves, don't be a landlord or have notes if you can't make your payments. <laughs> yeah. The, I mean, the tax man, right? If they're not getting paid, they have the ultimate uh, foreclosure option. Not really for they, they could just take it, you know, ahead of anybody. They have the first, the the true first lien, I suppose. They make all all the decisions. So the the best way to protect your, protect yourself as the uh, the note investor there is having reserves and making sure that bill is uh, is paid. Yes, hundred percent. Reserves always a good idea. Great. Yeah, it's like people don't want to talk about having reserves. They're just like, I have a hundred doors. It's like, yeah, but do you have reserves to cover your hundred doors when all your tenants don't pay your rent? <laughs> Probably not. Something to think about. Yeah. You know, you need to build that into your strategy if you're going to do this. Very, very important. Totally agree. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. All right, Melissa, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? I am ready. <laughs> All right, great. First one, what's the best investment you ever made other than in your education? I would say the best investment I've ever made is in my team. Honestly, like the people that I am surrounded by, the people that work with me, the people that work with me that aren't even employed by me, definitely investment of time and relationship has been very important because investments aren't always money investments, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Time being our you know, most scarce asset in life, not just, not not money, time. And you can leverage the, the time and expertise of others by bringing them on your team. Yes. Nice. We had the best investment. Now we go to the worst investment. What is the worst investment you ever made? <laughs> the worst investment I ever made was actually a property. <laughs> and it was awful. And it was one of those, it was a really great learning opportunity because although I've been doing this for 18 years, I don't know what I was thinking, but I went against my criteria. I thought, you know, it's been long enough. I can, you know, I'm going to do this deal, even though like, Theoretically, the deal should have been great, but it ended up being not great because one, I went against my criteria and two, a part of the process that we normally do got skipped because of the way we bought the property. And so it led to this whole like disaster, like this just dominoes of things happening. And it was literally like the worst deal I've ever done. So no matter how long you've been investing, you still get a shitty shit deal every <laughs> once in a while that just like... <laughs> You know, you're like, what happened here? You know, you don't ever want to lose money, but it, it's still, it'll happen from time to time. And it's a good opportunity to just reassess everything and just understand, like, sometimes we get complacent and that's not a good thing. 
Definitely true. Can you tell us like more specifically, what did you skip or what was the, what was like the, the mistake that, you know, started the, the dominoes falling? <laughs> it started with, um, so I had given myself a strict criteria several years ago of doing no more houses that needed foundation work because mm. there was like one year, I swear I did like four of these things and I was like done. I said, okay, from now on, if it's got a foundation problem, we'll wholesale it. I'm not dealing with that problem. Somebody else can deal with it. And this house came along. And so that was one mistake. It needed foundation work. And I said, you know, it's been a long time. I, I think I can take one on now. Second mistake was I bought off the MLS, which I never do. I never buy properties off MLS. I buy everything direct from sellers. And so that was a mistake. Third mistake was um, part of our process when we're buying direct from homeowners is that we always check FEMA for the floodplain. Well, this property was listed by a guy that was an agent. So I expected better, honestly. And he lied on the seller's disclosure. Even though he knew it was in a floodplain, he did not disclose that it was in a floodplain. So when I went to get permits from the city to do the foundation, they were like, hold on, this house is in a floodplain. And I'm like, what do you mean it's in a floodplain? When I bought it, they said it wasn't in a floodplain. Well, my process for my team is we check that. But I assumed incorrectly because I bought it off the MLS that the person that was listing it, that was an agent and an investor was telling the truth about it being not in a floodplain. So I didn't bother to double check. And when the city came back, it, it just turned into this whole thing where it's like, okay, now I got this property that I bought from a person that lied to me. And I have really not a lot of recourse here. I've already bought the property. You know, what am I going to do now? I could sue him probably, but that's going to take a lot of time, money, effort. And I'm just not interested in that kind of stuff. And so I had to deal with it. And then the city, you know, then they started telling me about all these rules that had changed because I hadn't done a foundation house in a while. So now suddenly, because it was in a floodplain, FEMA gets involved. And then you can only rehab, like you can only spend not more than 50% of the appraised value of the property on the rehab. So I'm like, oh my gosh, all these things are just like happening, happening, happening. And it it would just ended up being a disaster. You can only spend 50% of the appraised value on the recap. How is that yeah. anybody's business other than yours? Exactly. It's the most stupidest thing I've ever encountered. And I've done, you know, we always pull permits when we do foundations. I have never, I literally did a house in the same neighborhood like two years before, and I had no issues. No one ever said it was in a floodplain, you know, nothing. It never came up. And I'm like, did it just become a floodplain? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) So it's it, but that just led, like, had I known the floodplain issue, I would have never even bought that house. But, you know, I, I went against my criteria. I didn't follow my process all the way through like I should have. And I trusted a little too much. And again, to the complacency thing, I think I just got a little complacent and made a mistake. That cost me about $42,000 to get out of. (laughs) Oh, ouch. Yeah, that was not fun, especially in the middle of COVID. It's like, there goes some of my reserves (laughs) in this stupid house. (laughs) Well, hopefully this next question, the last question will get us built back up here after that uh, 
I don't know, tragic story. Number three, (laughs) (laughs) what is the most important lesson you've learned in business and investing? Don't be complacent. (laughs) That's actually a big one. But I think the biggest lesson, honestly, that I've learned besides the complacency thing is just, I really feel like you need to know why you're doing something. I feel like there's so many people out there that are doing, you know, they want to be in business or they think they want to do this business, but they don't really dig into, you know, the why of it all, like the the underlying why for everything. And I feel like so many things tie back to that, you know, why you're doing something, you know, we're only here for a short time and tomorrow's not guaranteed. And so what are you going to do with your life? Right. And so I feel like, business and life, it just goes together, you know, so much. So you have to know why you're doing something. You have to be intentional about doing things. And I think that was a huge lesson for me to learn. You know, that's a big reason why I moved into coaching from house flipping. You know, I still run that business and everything, but it did make me realize that I wasn't being intentional with that business. And it wasn't really my true passion. It led me to my real passion, which is coaching and helping people. But you know, I, I wouldn't have known that had I not dug deep, you know, to figure out that, you know, why am I doing this? Why, what parts of this do I like? What parts of this do I not like? Nice. Well, I'm glad you did. You found your passion and (laughs) you joined us today. And we certainly appreciate that. If folks want to reach out, if they want to get in touch with you, where can they find you? I can go to my website. It's the Melissa Johnson.com. And there's some information about me and my approach to coaching and all my social links are there. I do a lot of content uh, put out on Instagram, LinkedIn, YouTube, all those links are there with free content for everyone to enjoy. Awesome. Well, thank you for joining us today and uh, bringing us all this great information about turning a flipping business into a more passive strategy talking about creating notes and all the great things that uh, that come along with that. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating review on Apple Podcasts. It's very much appreciated and it helps other people learn about the show. If you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them into the tribe. We are also now live streaming interviews on YouTube. So look up the Passive Wealth Strategy Show on YouTube. Hit the subscribe button, smash that like button as they say, and we look forward to seeing you in the conversation live in the future. I hope you have a great rest of your day and a great week, and we'll talk to you on the next one. Bye-bye.